0: I'm an evil man. Don't you bother with me? What 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 Radio
1: Mano Papa Chango I'm coming to you from Topanga Canyon, California this week. Home of the Mansons and, uh, I don't know, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, I think, lived back here for a while. It's, it's this funky, hippie bubble uh, around Malibu. You, you drive up the PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, for those of you who don't know Los Angeles. You drive up that beautiful road with the ocean on your left. Until you get to Topanga Canyon Boulevard, take a right and wind back into the canyon and start to see the tie-dye and the VW camper vans and all the various forms of hippie detritus, debris, interesting things, Uh, sculptures, yurts. I encountered a yurt the other day just walking around looking for somebody. Anyway, if you uh, have been following my progress, you many of you will say, why the fuck isn't he in Thailand? I thought he was going to Thailand. What's going on? Good question, ladies and gentlemen. Very good question. Um, in a nutshell, what happened is that Casilda and I drove down from Portland, Oregon, stopped in Mill Valley for a couple of nights, had some amazing, amazing wonderful times in Mill Valley one night with Dan Pardee sleep researcher you'll hear a podcast episode that I recorded with him coming up soon and another night with a woman I think I mentioned in the intro last week who hung out with Terrence McKenna we slept in Terrence McKenna's bed we you know sort of um hung out with a lot of these uh very smart uh scientist, artists hippie types in mill valley and uh you know those are our people <laughs> those are, i don't i probably sound like i'm making fun of them but those are definitely our people uh and uh, so we had a great time there and there were some uh, young people hanging around the house Uh, And they told me, uh, those of you who are looking for a way to travel around the world and don't have the money to do it and don't really know what to do, they told me about two things that were interesting. One was that there are people who go around and work in vineyards. Actually, someone sent me an email about this recently as well, that there's seasonal work in vineyards and uh, really interesting people and they just show up at harvest time you know young sexy smart people who are traveling they show up at vineyards in France and Chile and wherever they're they're growing wine Sonoma I imagine and uh, they work picking grapes and um you know and then when it's over they move on they take the money and and cruise along some of the people I met last week had done that and then they were trimming buds you know at uh, marijuana harvest time up in Humboldt County and uh and then they were doing something I think they called WOOFing, W-O-O-F, World Organization of Organic Farmers, I believe that stands for. Google it. You'll find, I'm sure you'll find all sorts of information. Anyway, it's, um, it's a way you can travel around and you, uh, you go to these organic farms and you work in exchange for food and, and a place to stay. And, uh, It seems like a pretty cool thing to do. You know, you're going to meet interesting people. You're going to learn some interesting stuff. You're going to eat good food. You're going to do work that makes your body feel good. And uh, it really cuts down on the expenses of traveling. I guess all you have to pay for is your plane ticket and, you know, your buses and whatever other bullshit. So it's something to consider for those of you who are looking for a way to go out and see the world but don't quite know how to finance it. Look into woofing and uh in the wine uh harvesting business I know when I was in Alaska there were people who were doing wine um apple picking in in Washington state I don't know if that's still lucrative enough to be worthwhile I'll leave that up to you anyway uh so we had a great time we came down to LA and we were gonna leave in five days we were stashing shit in my parents garage and you know seeing some friends I did the podcast with Joe and Duncan and uh saw some other friends here and family and uh one of our friends very interesting cat um I don't want I, I won't say too much about him and I won't use his name cuz I don't know that he wants his name used but he's a very interesting guy Stanford grad Harvard law school high powered job in some big law firm and then uh, he and uh, a buddy had always wanted to go to Peru together so they took a little time off went down to Peru And um, had an encounter with uh, Mother Ayahuasca, and suddenly everything looked different. And he decided that he was living wrong. And he went back and quit his job and took all this money that he'd saved up and decided to put it toward endeavors that were making the world a better place. Take you know take the money away from the darkness and and try to finance some light and uh, anyway, so he's got a project that he's uh really excited about it involves um innovative treatments for uh people who really need help and i that's all I'll say about it, and i don't i I'll have to talk to him and and we'll see uh when and what he wants me to say publicly about it anyway it's a big project he really wanted Casilda and I to be involved in it and he laid it out and um, 24 hours before our flight to Thailand we decided to cancel our tickets and stick around and see what's going on with this and uh, so that's what's going on we you know our life just took a 90 degree turn in the course of a few hours which uh, initially kind of bummed me out because I was really looking forward to being on a tropical island right now after you know, all the work of getting the book done and all the stuff that was going on, packing up, moving, all that, you know, all that stress. I just kept thinking, you know, another week, another 10 days, I'm going to be sitting on an island. I'm going to be in a hammock. You know, I was all packed up and uh, ready to roll. And then suddenly, nope, we're going to stay in L.A. for a while. I don't know how long. It might just be a month. Uh, it might be longer. No idea. So, you know, that was a little, in a sense, it felt like an interruption of our journey. But, you know, then I've been thinking one of the things I like most about travel is the unexpected changes that happen. You know, the the running into someone, the hearing a story that completely changes your trajectory. And that's what happened. So, okay, our trip didn't take us to Southeast Asia. and hasn't yet. Um, but it's definitely taken us to places we didn't expect. I was listening to Tim. Cassie and I were listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast on the way down. People keep telling me I should listen to his podcast. So I went into his archives and I found two episodes that were particularly interesting to me. One was the Wim Hof episode, The Iceman Man." Um, most of you probably heard him on Rogan's podcast he's agreed to be on on this podcast but I don't want to do it on Skype I want to meet him so I said let's just hold off till I'm in Europe and I'll come up to Amsterdam and maybe even do the program with him the the, you know ice water immersion thing Um, anyway there was that and then the other one we listened to was a couple of Doctors who work with um, ibogaine and um, some other psychedelic substances, uh, treating addiction, and uh, so I was out to dinner with some friends here in L.A., and they were talking about how this guy said he worked in Mexico at this place and da da da. And I said, oh, I just listened to a couple doctors. They one is talking about this thing, and he said, yeah, that was me. I'm like what? Wow. Okay, that's synchronicity, right? Anyway, that's what's been happening the last week. It's just been kind of crazy. What, what, what? Okay, okay. Just roll with the waves, you know. Don't try to swim against the current. Just try to not hit any rocks on your way downstream. That's my philosophy. Anyway, before I say anything else, uh, oh, wait a minute. This episode, (laughs) I just realized (laughs) this episode is with that doctor who was sitting across the table from me. Uh, Martin uh, Polanco I think his name is Um, I'll confirm that I wasn't planning to introduce him just yet But it occurred to me that that story I'm telling you Is about the guy that you're about to hear Wow Uh, Anyway before I get into any more of this I want to play a little song for you This is a really special piece of music I I heard it in the car and I thought I should play that on the podcast It's from um, an album called Toto Bona Locua which are the names of the three uh, gentlemen who are singing on this album. Gerard Toto, uh, who's a French songwriter and multi-instrumentalist, and jazz musician uh, Richard Bona, who is from Cameroon. He plays bass with uh, the Pat Metheny Group, uh, and the Congolese singer-songwriter Lokua Kanza. This was released in 2004, and this song is called Lisanga. And uh, what's particularly amazing about this song is you'll notice, pay attention to what instruments, pay attention to how many instruments you're hearing in this song. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Hope you enjoy it. I'll be right back.
0: I na go be no not the <laughs> Say boy, we live at night We're made like one we We live with summer, yeah. I Higher like a wooden lock the You have this <laughs> Ah, oh, my yeah. you the a a
1: So there you have it I have no idea what they're singing about but it's fucking beautiful isn't it it's a little bit of bass a little bit of guitar and three beautiful beautiful voices the interplay of three very different styles and, uh, and temperaments love that song I'll put a link uh, up to the song and some videos and uh, where you can buy it on on iTunes so, as I said, this episode is with Martin Polanco, who's a doctor, um, educated in Mexico, who is the uh, medical director of a clinic called Crossroads Treatment Center in Tijuana. And what they do is use, um, Ibogaine, which is, uh, a drug that's derived from uh, the iboga plant, which is native to Africa. It's extremely strong hallucinogen and has uh, an amazing capacity to help people deal with um, addiction, to break in addictive behavior patterns. So Martin Polenko is the director and Maria Teresa Chavez is uh, one of the counselors there who helps with the aftercare, as you'll hear. She's a, a bit of... um. Uh, midwife uh, you know people are being reborn from these experiences, and she's a very warm and uh, sort of welcoming person and and I'm sure that she has been a wonderful presence for people as they're going through these experiences. You can read more about the center if you go to uh, crossroads ebogain that's i b o g a i n e dot com crossroads eboga dot com it might be ibogaine i don't know i don't know ibogaine ibogaine i tend to pronounce things the way i heard them the first time and i think the first time i heard of this substance i was in spain so it was ibogaine so there you go i call that swedish furniture store ikea i know everyone here says ikea and i get it all backwards anyway uh I hope you enjoy this conversation. We had it just recently, just a couple days ago, here in Topanga. They're staying right across the canyon from me in this amazing place. There's a a park right outside their front door. It's lovely. And uh, we had a really nice time chatting. And um, I'm going to be driving down to Tijuana in a few days to uh, tour the center myself. So that'll be interesting. Maybe I'll record another podcast down there. In any case, uh, check it out. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And um, I'll catch you next week. I don't know where on this planet I will be, but I will drop in and say hello. I hope you'll join me. Thanks. Bye. All right. I am sitting in the kitchen of an amazing hacienda in Topanga Canyon. This place is incredible. I I showed up a little early, couldn't find anybody, so I was wandering around the property. There's a yurt over there. Mm There's like a stream that runs through, I guess, when it rains. You know, this is like hippie paradise back okay. here, the kind of place you only find in Topanga, I think. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. So I'm with Maria and Martin, uh, who work at a place called Crossroads in Mexico. Tell me, what is it that you do at Crossroads?
2: So at Crossroads Treatment Center, we treat patients addicted to opiates with Ibogaine to help them detox Right. And move them into their... Uh, long-term sobriety with minimal discomfort.
1: And how long have you been doing this?
2: I've been working with Ibogaine for 15 years.
1: 15 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you're, So you're an MD and you did your medical studies in Mexico. Correct. And what's the feeling in Mexico for using these sorts of... You know, last night we were talking. I should, I sh- I should step back a little bit and say how bizarre this is that we're sitting here talking because as people listen to this podcast know, Casilda and I left Portland Drove to L.A., and along the way, uh, I, I decided I'm going to listen to some podcasts, because I rarely... I don't have time to listen to podcasts, because when I'm working, I'm writing, so I can't listen to people talking, mm-hmm. you know? I don't have the sort of work that allows that. And uh, people have been telling me for quite a while I should listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast. So I looked at his archives, and I found the two episodes that I was most interested in were Wim Hof, The Iceman... Mm-hmm. And I saw an episode uh, talking about uh, using hallucinogens for healing and therapeutic purposes, and that's something I've been interested in for a long time. So we listened to that, and very interesting conversation, and it turns out that was you mm-hmm. that we were listening to three days ago in the car, Cassie and I stopping every 15 minutes to talk about what you guys had said, and you know, what do you think about this, and how can that work? and da-da-da-da-da. and then started again, and we're driving through Fresno, you know. And then there we are sitting across the table at dinner last night. It was bizarre.
2: Such a synchronous meeting.
1: Synchronicity, baby. Synchronicity. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, with that framing intact, uh, the magical moment we're in here, um, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was asking you about the cultural attitude toward these things in Mexico. Um, a friend of mine, Stanley, uh, knows or knew Maria Sabina. Mm-hmm. Down in the Oaxaca area, so there's a tradition of this in, in Mexican culture, although it was very oppressed by the the Catholicism.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You
1: know, so how how it like in medical school is this something that's respected and understood, or is it just under the radar?
2: It's under the radar. I mean, it it is known, but doctors are conservative by nature, so right. this isn't something which normal psychiatrists or yeah. doctors would use or even understand. Yeah. Uh, wider popular culture, I think. In certain circles, it is something which is well-known and accepted and even encouraged. But as it is in the U.S., there are certain circles where...
1: What's the legal situation?
2: So the, the medicines that we work with are legal, which means that they are not classified. So they don't fall under the scheduling. Right. And then there's other classifications for peyote and for mushrooms which are illegal in most contexts, but not in an indigenous context.
1: Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. The Huichole, is that how you Huitjole pronounce it? Indians in right. Kong,
2: and also the Massatech and other peoples further south, they're allowed to use mushrooms. Mushrooms, mm-hmm. right.
1: Yeah, there's a long history of, of alternative medical practices that that move into this sort of area, setting up shop in Mexico. Mm-hmm.
2: Correct. You know, yeah, especially, and especially on the border. There's a lot of alternative treatments right. for different conditions. Uh, some of them are effective and others not right. so much.
1: Well, last yeah. night we were talking about Helminth therapy. Was that with you guys? Mm-hmm. No, that was, maybe I was talking with someone else. I interviewed a guy uh, recently, uh, Mark Davis, who's mm-hmm. an expert in fecal transplant, mm-hmm. and he put me in touch with... the. Uh, company in Tijuana who do um, therapy with worms
0: mm-hmm.
1: for people who have muscular dystrophy, Crohn's disease. Lots of diseases seem to be an autoimmune response triggered by the absence of parasites.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating. I've been really interested in that area Yeah. because a lot of the mental health issues that we see are also related to the gut. Mm-hmm. And it's an imbalance that we have there. And by restoring the microbiome and by introducing these things that we evolved with, you can deal with a lot of immune disorders. And by dealing with immune disorders, you deal with inflammation, which helps you with depression. So there's there's always like linkages. Right,
1: right. Everything's connected. Correct. It, it's very interesting as a doctor. You know, I live with Casilda, who is a psychiatrist you probably experience this as well the the medical training is all about separating mm-hmm. and making you know identifying discrete factors and discrete mm-hmm. effects of this particular molecule and that but the truth is that everything's interconnected and everything's a complex three-dimensional web mm-hmm. so there's almost there's almost like the medical training it, it's well intentioned but in a way it's pulling you away from truth mm-hmm. you know do you do you ever feel frustra- frustration around that that they taught you to think in a way that is sort of the opposite of the way you actually need to think.
2: Correct. Yeah, and uh, as we know now, there, there's a you know mind-body connection, and yeah. there's a big component: um, the mind affects the immune system. Right. So, like you've identified, it's definitely very uh, specialized how medicine is taught, and we focus on one particular organ. I mean, for example, ophthalmologists—they only look at the eyes. Or psychiatrists are right. looking at the mind without often looking at the thyroid or yeah. the other conditions. The gut, the right. family—you know, yeah, family, exactly. it
1: it's extends out and in yeah. in every direction. Yeah. yeah, and
2: addiction is often related. I mean, it's very tightly coupled with family dynamics right. and uh, trauma, which is passed on from generation to generation. So when patients come in to a psychiatrist in the U.S., they're not asked about. The, their family history. Yeah. They The doctors view the drug as a problem without looking at the underlying conditions. Like, what is driving the addiction? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, Maria, what do you do down there at Crossroads? So, um, where, where's it located, by the way?
3: Well, we have two d- different locations. Uh-huh. We have like, the clinic, which is in Tijuana, and then yeah. we've got a beach house that's in between Rosario and Ensenada, where we do all the integration, and we also use... Um, the 5-MeO-DMT down there, which is a medicine that we use after the ibogaine to help them with the whole integration. It kind of really it pulls the whole experience together for them.
1: It's 5-EM... So. What is it?
3: 5? 5-MeO.
1: M-E-O-DMT. DMT. Is that the same as the DMT that I'm familiar with?
3: No. It, oh, Most okay. people are familiar with NN-DMT, uh-huh. which is a different molecular structure. They're definitely cousins. They're very related, <coughs> but it's a very different experience. Oh. NN-DMT is a very... Um, kind of geometric, there's lots of lights and colors and carnival ride kind of experience. That's the kind of DMT that's in ayahuasca. Right. And this is what we call the God molecule. So I describe Um, it usually very simply because you can't really ever prepare somebody or describe this to them. But I call it a catapult into God consciousness which just basically takes you outside of your ego, outside of how you have been trained to see the world through the eyes of you as your personality and returns you to the experience of being with all that is, kind of back to the oneness. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really profound.
1: Got to get me some of that. Right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, and it comes from a toad from the Sonoran ah, Desert, the Bufo okay. Algros Toad. The
1: Bufo mm. is that? Ah, all right.
3: Yeah. right. So, yeah, I run the therapeutic department down there which, you know, once again, these medicines are such amazing tools, but that's what they are, they're tools. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of tools to up the same mountain, something that you could use deep meditation or other type of work to, to access. It This just allows a really direct connection for people to start to work with their own consciousness. And How again, long
1: does it last?
3: The 5MEO? Yeah. It's pretty quick. It's a very, like I said, it's a catapult. Uh-huh. And I actually call it the bed that we use a launching pad. Because it's you know by the time you've inhaled the medicine it's really starting to take effect. It's usually about 15 to 20 minutes for yeah. the really intense part. Okay. But then once again we use it as a therapeutic tool. So after they're kind of coming down we do a lot. There's a, it's a very confessional moment. You know they've kind of seen all these these they have these realizations of oh my god I didn't realize that that one thing that's been holding me back my whole life that thing that happened where i decided that i was like some bad shameful kid when i was 5 years old. Oh my gosh, can i tell you about it? And can mm. we like and so i helped them to unpack those experiences that are what, you know, cause them to be who they are. Mm. And a lot of times they're using these really maladaptive coping skills cuz there's an right. underlying root cause that they feel like they're not enough, they're not lovable. Yeah. All of us have those things. Yeah. So that's why this work is so profound, but it really gets really down to the root root causes of why people are uncomfortable in the world and so we try to help them get more comfortable get more on purpose and then they can live really successful happy lives
1: holy shit that's a that's a sacred moment that you're sharing with people
3: it's so it's so special it's such a honestly it's the deepest honor of my life is to really be able to create safe space for people That's what we're all looking for, is to feel safe, to feel held, to feel seen, even for those things that we feel like are what make us monsters, that make us really separate. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's on a par with delivering a baby or or helping someone to die. Absolutely. It's it's one of those just incredible once-in-a-lifetime experiences
3: absolutely and I see myself a lot of in that way a lot as a doula really helping people to become I call them like oh my newborn little babies because they're so fresh when they come out of these experiences it's such a raw humble place to be Hmm. to be facing all of your deepest darkest shit that's really it's a it's a profound starting point to create a whole new life for yourself
0: yeah
1: yeah wow that's that's incredible and how long have you been doing this
3: well, I've been working in this field for about 12 years. Mm. You know, um, I started as a personal trainer and nutrition consultant back in the day. Mm-hmm. I became really fascinated with helping people to heal through their diet. Right. So I really use a lot of plants and herbs to help people with all kinds of diseases. I work a lot with cancer patients and um, other degenerative diseases because once again I find that the root cause is all it's stress you know mm. we're putting stress on our system which once again causes inflammation right. and then each person displays disease wherever their genetic weakest link is right. so even though we think things are different okay that's cancer and that's diabetes and that's mm. this and that's that it's all just that is where your body has a weak right. link and so right. that's where you're displaying that stress and that inflammation, but where is that coming from?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I think of geology, you know, like there's all this pressure of the magma under, and the volcano forms where the crust is weak, you know, that's where it pops out. Are you familiar with uh, Dr. John Sarno? You ever heard of him? He's a back surgeon who um, practiced at Columbia University in New York, and he worked for years doing you know disc replacement surgery and you know fixing herniated discs and all that. and um, eventually he came to the point where he started to realize that his patients were he i think he said seventy percent or so of the people he saw were suffering from extreme stress, mm-hmm. and th- he he came to the realization that. What was happening was that they were expressing... Their body was expressing this this stress in the point where they were structurally weak, mm-hmm. skeletally, mm-hmm. right? So that it wasn't that there was a herniated disc that was causing pain. It was that the pain was expressing in the place where there was a herniated disc. Mm-hmm. And so doctors were confused by this because they do an x-ray and they'd say, oh, look, yeah, there's an abnormality. That's mm-hmm. why you're in pain. But actually, he said he had thousands of patients who had the same abnormalities who had no pain mm-hmm. right and so he was he basically said the same thing you did which is that the stress is there it's unresolved mm-hmm. and it's expressing itself where there's a pre-existing weakness exactly. in the body you said in the genetics or in the immune system or whatever but it's basically the same idea that there are these systems and then they, when there's a weakness, this pressure expresses through the weakness.
3: Exactly, and that's why yeah. I see a lot of these things as being gifts. To be honest, you know, it's a because gift. they call attention yeah. to the problem. They're right? a wake up call. A pain or disease is just a wake up call to say, hey, something's not in alignment. Right. Something's out of whack. Where let's find out what the root is. And so once again, that's why allopathic medicine is just so off base because they want to get in there and cut things off and you know, burn them at the site and whatnot. Mm. And yeah, you can do that all you want, but if you don't address the root cause, it's just going to keep coming back.
0: Right.
3: So right. we use those same principles for, you know, for addiction. It's all, like I said, dis-ease in any way. It just means that your psyche is out of ease. Yeah. So how do we create ease within your being so that you can express you know, and be in a healthy body and a healthy being.
1: Wow. You two are, like, articulate and beautiful and don't blink. You're <laughs> freaking me out a little bit. What's going on here? We're I just blinking. We're, we're just blinking. We're,
3: um, we're very passionate. We're just very excited. We honestly we live and breathe this. Uh, um, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Well, maybe it's hanging out the, at the hacienda for a while. I'd stop blinking, too. <laughs> Chill out and I would get all beautiful, Very yeah, yeah. It's this is beautiful out mm-hmm. here. You're right, we're right uh, near Red Rocks. Is that what it's called Red Rocks Park? Yeah, mm-hmm. so our backyard is backyard Red Rocks mm-hmm.
3: is a state um, preserved park. Super beautiful, I really didn't know high it air was quality. back here. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's amazing.
3: Yeah, you can go for miles. You can walk to Malibu from here.
1: Topanga's full of these secret little corners. Yes. You know, I, I love. We, we lived here for six months mm-hmm. and. We would, um, on Sundays, some days, we'd go around and pretend we were looking to buy a house just so we could, like, <laughs> walk around and look at these houses, you know, because there's mm-hmm. so many beautiful little secret... Do you ever go to the... There's an art thing where the studios, the artists open their studios. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do that? Yeah, absolutely. That's there's a,
3: amazing artists up here. This is yeah. a very... You know, this canyon has a lot of history and a lot of energy. It's a lot of magical things have happened. A lot of people yeah. doing you know, all their own little psychedelic journeys and yeah. artists. And
1: Let's not that. mention the Mansons. <laughs> oh, they were up here? Yeah.
3: yeah. We, we, we choose to
4: avoid <laughs> That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. black magic. Some black magic, but mostly mostly white magic. Yeah. So, Martin, so I heard you in the... Uh, in your interview with Tim Ferriss, talking about how you were studying to be an ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. Can you, what, what happened? Where, how did you get de- detract?
2: <laughs> well, I, um, Much begin- to your
1: parents' dismay. <laughs> initial dismay. <laughs> initial <laughs> initial dismay.
2: So, uh, yeah, so I was going to become an ophthalmologist and actually the third generation in my family. Uh-huh. And I had seen the powerful transformative effects of the medicine on a family member.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Uh, someone dealing with
2: addiction correct um, Yeah, she was dealing with a cocaine addiction and she was in complete denial about the seriousness of the problem or it be even being a problem and really? after having taken ibogaine uh with a provider uh,
1: how, how did she
2: end up doing that? How, what led to her mm-hmm. doing this? So, I mean, my interest in, in, in plant medicines and psychedelics led me to find out about Ibogaine, uh, and then I went online and there were some list servers. and uh, okay. Back in 2000s, right. earlier.
1: So, you hooked her up?
2: Hooked her up. I accompanied her. And the day after she had taken the medicine, we were walking on the beach, and it was just such a you know beautiful memorable conversation because she Mm -hmm. for the first time admitted that this was a problem and she needed to move away from where she was living at the time Um, so it was a nudge in the right direction and afterwards she went back to school got a master's degree started practicing yoga eating healthy so all of those things helped her right you know move away from the addiction but the game provides that initial moment of insight Mm right where you You cannot avoid the truth because it confronts you in such a direct manner. I um, decided to take a year off my residency training. I was already in residence. You were already in residence. And uh, just kind of leaving the door open in case (laughs) this didn't work out. But it it was amazing watching people transform. I mean, we can take an active opiate user, heroin addict, off the streets. In a matter of three days, they are no longer craving, they're no longer withdrawing. Literally put heroin in front of them and they would not touch it mm-hmm. right and in Western medicine. There isn't anything like that 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 yeah. shifts and that transforms the addictive Mind to being non addicted. Yeah, of course you have to integrate that experience mm-hmm. to achieve long-term sobriety and that's where aftercare comes in and coaching and just uh, the, A lot of the work that Maria and Deanne do in terms of preparing people for for the reality because there's a lot of wreckage that they leave behind Yeah and there's just a lot of things pulling them back into the addiction. Right. So it, it does take. It's two different skill sets: getting clean and staying clean. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah.
1: That's that's true. You can you can join the gym and then you have to go to the gym. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you? Uh, so you working primarily with addicts at this point? Yeah, that has been our work, uh, primarily with addicts. By the out? way, I don't like using the word addicts. Addicted individuals. Addicted, addicted people, individuals. People well, there are too many fucking syllables in addicted individuals. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can't say that every time. Yeah. Uh, but So everybody should just know. If I say addicts, I <laughs> mean addicted individuals. Because, yeah, addicts addicts is an identity. I'm an addict. And that falls into the whole addiction as disease model. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do, what's your attitude about that, the, the disease model of addiction? Well, to, yeah. I think
2: that, that there's a big genetic component mm-hmm. to addiction, maybe 50%. Mm-hmm. But so there's a predisposition there's that a some predisposition people have more and or then less. If, if you're anxious and you're depressed, mm-hmm. then drugs are this wonderful solution. I mean, the first time somebody with depression takes an opiate, they feel great. And they obviously want to repeat that experience. Right. But,
1: yeah. but what determines if they're using drugs versus gambling?
2: Well, I, I also think that there's a, there's a big... Contributory factor in early childhood trauma, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and by trauma I don't mean you had to be beaten or raped or something super serious. It can just be benign neglect. You right, know, you weren't loved the way you needed to be loved. Right, mm-hmm. and we all have these childhood issues that we're dealing with. It's just that people who gravitate towards I mean, there's a a lot of people take drugs, but only a small percentage become addicted. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's not the drugs. It's something else.
1: Yeah, I was just reading uh, a couple days ago about Rat Park.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Bruce Alexander's yes.
1: research. God, that's so, it's, it's just mind blowing, you know, how it. So, for people who, who aren't familiar with this and, you know, don't have time to Google it, uh, Bruce Alexander was teaching at uh, Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, and he was looking at all these, these uh, studies that seemed to show that certain uh, substances were so addictive. That rats would prefer the substance over food. Correct me if, if mm-hmm. I'm wrong about any of this. Um, and he found he was like, "Well, wait a minute. Is anything really that addictive?" Mm-hmm. You know. So he his theory was that it was the cages that the fact that the rats were living these miserable lives in these tiny little cages and isolation with mm-hmm. nothing to do. They were bored out of their minds. So you introduce some drugs. Of course, they're going to take the drugs. It's like you know, if you introduce coke in a prison everybody's going to snort the coke what else are they going to do right so he created what he called rat park which was a much larger environment and allowed the rats of both sexes to mate and to run around and they had little balls and tunnels and things to do and all this stuff and then he ran the same series of tests and found that generally the rats would try the drug and then avoid it Mm -hmm. they weren't interested Mm -hmm. so they weren't bored Mm -hmm. So that falls into my whole rant, which is that it's the modern world that makes us want to be addicted to whatever. And, and it's funny how, like, there are addictions that are identifiable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Gambling and heroin or whatever. But then, you know, somebody who's just got, you know, 500 pairs of shoes... Mm-hmm. We don't call that an addiction, but it's just as irrational and wasteful mm-hmm. and strange.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. But well, there's mm-hmm. a there's another theory about that around addiction where it's I you know they call it that it's it's a bonding. It's just you know, human beings are meant to bond and if they're not bonding with other human beings, they're gonna bond with something ah. that makes them feel good. And so all these yeah. things are is that the human the the person is uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable right. in the world, they don't yeah. feel accepted, they don't feel like they belong. And so what are you gonna do? It's very normal to do something that it creates know dopamine rush, and that makes you mm. numb in some ways. You know, you get yeah. into this, like, well, I'm going to avoid that I don't feel good by doing something over here that makes me feel better. Of course, that's momentary. Right. You know? And so yeah. we and that's the nature
1: this. of addiction. You get a little taste, but yeah. you don't get enough to... To feel yeah. good, yeah. and
3: that's a lot of why we support them in creating new addictions in some ways. Ah. you know, Once again, we as human beings need to feel like we're excited about something that we're on purpose about things. Mm. So, if your new addiction is meditation and yoga, awesome, go to town. Right. You know, like, use, utilize those things that are empowering you. I yeah. work a lot, I don't really work in terms of what's right or wrong or what's good or bad. I work in terms of what's empowering versus what's disempowering. Mm. So, if you're doing something that's disempowering you and, and keeping you away from the life you want to live, how do we switch that over to to utilize tools that really empower you to show up in the fullness of who you are?
1: Wow. Yeah, I I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. And it's interesting that, you know, studies show that the the thing that makes people feel good most reliably is helping people, Mm -hmm. helping other people.
0: Absolutely. You
1: know? So it's, it's, we're so misinformed mm. about what works, you know? We get all this bad advice from the culture. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. I'm really fascinated with teaching people how to be human, essentially. Yeah. I feel like we're not taught growing up. We're taught a whole bunch of other really interesting things like math and science and history, mm. but not about how to be a human being. I mean, yeah, like, that's a good point. To actually be healthy, happy moving forward.
1: Mm. Do you guys have kids? Are, are you? Mm. You don't have kids? Because... I mean that's to talk about teaching someone how to be human, mm-hmm. you know like. <laughs> anyone who has kids suddenly has that responsibility and most of us don't know it ourselves you know
3: absolutely which is why I work so deeply in education I uh-huh. actually have been working on a nonprofit for children for many years that uh-huh. teaches conscious education to children um, and to parents because we just don't know what we don't know yeah. we've, we've grown up in like really interest in a really bizarre world to be honest we're taught yeah. all kinds of really strange things that are just not true
1: did you grow up in which Peru I, did you say last night
3: well I was born in the US but uh-huh. my mom is from Venezuela and my uh-huh. dad is from Peru, so I definitely spent a lot of time in South America, and that's a massive part of my kind of mm. bond with the different indigenous medicines right. and all that like really working with the medicines from the land and getting to see what life is like outside of the US. The US is just such an interesting bubble, it's <laughs> such a bubble. I've never It's <laughs> That's a nice way to put like it. it.
1: Yeah, a bullshit bubble. <laughs> a bursting bubble of bullshit. Uh, yeah, and Martin, what part of Mexico are you from?
2: Well, I grew up in a city called Texcoco, which is 35 minutes outside of Mexico City. Then oh. I went to high school, Mexico City University in Mexico City. Oh, oh. And then for the past 15 years, I've been in Tijuana. Right. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Tijuana? Yeah, It's a fascinating been there. city. I mean, it's a pretty big metropolis. It's um, 1.5 to 2 million people. Very artistic, very creative. Just mm. you have to, you know, put it in this geographic context. It's right next to California, so a lot of all the culture and newness kind of drips down and mm. it, it gets expressed in a new way. Right. It is um, very wealthy compared to other Mexican cities, although not wealthy compared to the U.S. Uh, there were some difficult times in 2006 to 2008. Right. But since then, it's it's gotten very quiet, it's very safe. Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because the one the one group took over, and Correct. now they're yeah, not when, fighting.
2: Yeah, when one cartel wins, them, yeah,
1: peace. So, uh, so no. Crossroads is working primarily with addicts. Do you have other people coming through? PTSD, you know, d- different kinds of.
2: Very much so. I mean, we have uh, our focus has been treating people with opiate addiction, but we don't um, see pure opiate addiction. Generally, people right. are combining drugs. Right and. So alcoholics? The, yes, although I wouldn't say that this is the primary treatment for alcoholism. Mm. There's other ways to address this. Really? Um, one of the most pronounced effects of the Ibogaine is an antidepressant, mood-elevating effect. Right. So we're seeing some people come for that. Uh. Although, again, there's other ways to treat depression. Right. Also dealing with childhood trauma and issues that you know we all have. So, we have two programs. One is the addiction program, which is longer, and then we have a psychospiritual program, which is for people who don't self identify as addicts. Right, okay. And who don't have substance abuse issues, at least not currently.
1: So, I could, I could come there for the treatment without necessarily having Correct. any addiction. Provided that
2: you pass all the medical screening and that everything checks out. So,
1: it's, I could do it voluntarily? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah and uh, how long is that that sort of program so you can do it just as because I'm, I'm sure people are listening to this mm-hmm. and saying well you know what I'm not addicted but I am feel stuck in my life mm-hmm. and I'd like to do this but I don't want to you know I don't want to go out with you know a couple of buddies on a weekend right I'd like to have the supervision and the
2: mm-hmm. you know the
1: sort of structure of care and the aftercare and the
2: intention setting and just yeah. the preparation right because these are big experiences they're transformative experiences right. so you want to First of all, you know, walk in with your eyes wide open, really knowing what you're getting into, right? Um, and the more you prepare, the more you get out of it as well. Right. Right. So, the program is from Friday to Monday. You would arrive on Friday, you stay there the weekend. We provide both medicines, so it's the uh, iboga in the case of the psychospiritual program, which is the root. Mm-hmm. Iboga is to iboganus, ayahuasca is to DMT, so right. it's the principal active molecule. <clears throat> And we use Ibogaine for the addiction program because it has a much more defined risk profile. Like we know exactly like, what it's doing for the heart. Ibogaine a little bit more, um, you know. A
1: little you know. diffuse because it's yeah, a natural it substance. A natural
2: substance. You never know the batch, how potent it is and right. stuff like that. Right. Yeah. But with psychospiritual patients, we use a smaller dose, mm-hmm. which is actually more therapeutic from a psychological perspective because you're able to focus on the journey and the experience and create these narratives in your, in your mind. Whereas the dose that we use for the addiction program is pretty strong and we have to give them a big dose because we have to overcome the withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes very dissociative and jumbled and it's a very intense experience for them.
1: And it's, it's long-lasting as well.
2: Pretty long-lasting yeah. compared to other so uh, medicines. So like
1: 18 hours? I would say,
2: or? yeah, from 6 to 12 hours is a visionary phase but for the next 24 hours you're still feeling the medicine and right. but you're more you're processing what you saw. Right. So you're not allowed to use your phone. You're not allowed to distract yourself. You have to just deal with what comes up.
1: And you're doing so. Now we're talking about this is the evil gain the, for the, mm-hmm. the overcoming addictions. Yeah. Um, and then you're you're doing group therapy or individual therapy or uh, you know art therapy. What sorts of things are you doing to help people in that phase?
0: All
3: of that, All yeah. Right. We definitely do a lot of group stuff. We have lots of one-on-ones. You have any
1: body yes. stuff? Is there massage or mm-hmm. you know physical activity, yoga, yeah, things like that? So Horseback
2: riding, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, oh, horses! I,
1: yeah. Horses are really therapeutic, are really aren't therapeutic. they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
3: yeah. I'm also a, um, a personal trainer in a group exercise coach so i have them out doing yoga i mean it's got to be light because they're going through a lot but we definitely do lots of yoga and stretching on the beach and some tai chi and different ways that really teach them how to move energy
1: so the the clinical center Mm -hmm. and the beach center are near each other
3: Relatively, yeah. So how? Did, yeah. So you
1: you get in a van and go to the mm-hmm. beach right yeah. after? Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: So we transport them for the detox <laughs> it must be program. it an interesting ride. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining like five or six people in the van just going, oh, let's oh, go, oh, go to the beach. Oh, uh, opened up and just yeah, wow.
3: Yeah, it's a really <laughs> unique environment to be honest. We get to do something that most other you know rehab centers are not doing which is create a really family environment where mm. it's a really warm welcoming they feel so taken care of they've got all their meals prepared and we've got fat fi- you know reading by the fire and doing puzzles and art therapy and stuff um, it's a really different environment than they're used to being in a really sterile place where they're kind of treated like criminals or there's something really wrong with them and they've got to be watched 24-7 I mean we definitely have supervision 24-7 but it's a really warm welcoming environment and spending time on the beach is so therapeutic for them and then like I said we do a lot of one-on-ones so we get a lot of time for me to just sit with them and talk through whatever is coming up and what do they feel like once again has contributed to all of this and we actually have started a family program where we're working with They've you know, been working a lot with the, with their moms, which is so special, so that their moms can come down the first day when they arrive and actually work with the 5-MEO-DMT and help the mom with some of their healing and understanding uh-huh. of that. So
1: you're getting into a family mm-hmm. dynamic kind of, that's, that's uh, very important.
2: It's, it's so critical. powerful. Yeah. Because if the, the patient goes back home and the mom is still treating them like an addict, yeah. they will live up to their mom's expectations. How
1: many, like what percentage of the people you're treating live with their mothers?
2: Mm. Well, I wouldn't know exact percentages, yeah. but the general demographic is 25 to 35-year-old,
1: uh-huh.
2: um, middle, upper-class mm-hmm. We're getting a lot of male patients. Mm. Mm. Females deal with this on their own.
3: Yeah, so the point is not necessarily they've been living with their moms, but the the families, it's gotten to that critical point and the families are the ones that's booking them to come down. Mm. So they're, you know, gonna go straight home and go be with their family to kind of recover for a little bit. And once again, most of these, you know, we don't just come out of the womb from like crystalline perfection. You know lineage, and then create these. Speak
0: for issues. yourself, Maria.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> my mother's <laughs> vagina is crystalline perfection.
3: Well, her vagina may be crystalline perfection, <laughs> but I don't know about <laughs> yeah, anyway, I, I
1: got some crystal cuts on my face going through there. <laughs> but yeah, does point,
3: your mom
1: listen to this? <laughs> no, I hope not. Yeah.
3: The point is that we all have such <laughs> heavy karma that we carry through our lineages. Yeah. Most of us, I should say. And I know for myself, I'm one of the biggest things that I work with within my own healing is stopping certain karma and patterns from passing down, from being passed on to my children. Right. So I feel like that's how we change the world. Is everybody takes their own healing as like the number one thing for them in their lives? That we all heal all of our wounds. The world's going to be a really fucking amazing place. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing the epigenetics mm-hmm. and how, uh, you know, people whose grandparents suffered from famine are more likely to be obese, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like what is up with that, you know, yeah. or, or just extreme stress two, three generations back has effects. You, you don't even know those people, Correct. and yet what they went through... Affects you. It's crazy. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Well, that's the understanding of consciousness. I feel, and how we all are so interconnected. Yeah. We do share, a, you know, we do share a consciousness, and that's why a lot of times, even parents, they say one thing to their kids, but if they're energetically holding a different belief system, the children still pick up on that. Of so course. for they example see through that. Yeah. Shit. yeah. So, for example, me growing up, my mom always told me, "Oh, you've got such a, you know, beautiful body, and you're perfect," even though I was super chubby and whatnot. And she never made me feel like I was. Fat, but I'm watching her always on a diet, always on Jenny Craig and weighing herself. Mm. And of course, what I picked up is that well, we as women have to really like, we've got to combat against this natural, like, we're fat kind of thing. Right. And so it just goes to show that you can say one thing to your child, but if you're holding, like I said, that energetic imprint of something different... That's what they. That's what we learn.
1: Mm, she's Venezuelan. Gotta <laughs> give her a break. I give her a lot of <laughs> breaks. I love my mom. I'm just using that as
3: an example. I love you, mom. <laughs> if you're listening.
1: Even if your vagina isn't <laughs> made of crystal.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I'm not sure if a crystal vagina is a, a dream or a nightmare. doubt that I think of it, depends if you're coming or going. I guess, right? <laughs> Anyway, either. Uh, Yeah, Venezuela. I was in Venezuela once for a psychology conference. Mm -hmm. It it may have been the pinnacle of my life as a single man. Holy cow. (laughs) It was just like this hotel was overrun by beautiful women everywhere. Yeah, the
3: Venezuelan and Colombian Mm -hmm. women. Yeah. Very very beautiful.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting part of the world.
3: But then also then plays into their obsession with plastic surgery, right?
1: Exactly. So yeah. it's
3: a double-edged sword always, uh, yeah. <laughs> being obsessed
0: with beauty.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So uh, we were talking about um, different kinds of patients who come. So what's is there? A, you have a set fee for this, or how does how does that work?
2: So for the psychospiritual spiritual program, which is for non-addicted individuals, mm-hmm. it's three thousand five hundred
1: for the and long weekend.
2: Yes, right, and for the addiction program, it's $7,000. Although we encourage people to do four weeks of aftercare and we have a partner program in uh-huh. the US that is doing that. So we'll offer discounts just to get them in because it is so critical for people right. not to go back home to their environment, especially right. these younger kids that don't have anything else going on. Right. When we get you know, doctors and lawyers and people who have a lot to lose, yeah, they can do a week and go home and just get into the flow of things again. But a right. young you know, 20-year-old guy who you know
1: yeah it's, it's bored that's it you know? yeah you can have the amazing experience but then you go back and you're hanging
2: out with the same crowd doing or your girlfriend same is still using mm-hmm. right yeah mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's, it's a big one yeah
3: the aftercare is really 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 critical yeah, yeah. so, so all- we're we're
2: really excited and happy to to be able to offer these longer stays now and we're emphasizing that as being critical yeah you know, for mm-hmm. long-term sobriety
1: i think so you're right it's, because be you need to right. learn a new way to live, really. Yes, and reconnect
2: yeah. to your body, because you know, oftentimes, what they're feeling is just not used to feeling. I mean, mm-hmm. it's yeah. a raw reality again. Yeah, and they don't have that buffer of the opiates. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. So the you've been doing this 15 years, did you say? The, the, I've been working the,
2: with Ibogaine 15 years. Part uh-huh. of those 15 years was working as a consultant. I went to Russia, helped open up a few clinics there. Oh, really? Columbia.
1: In Ibogaine clinics.
2: Yeah, I mean, they worked with other treatment modalities, but they wanted to incorporate Ibogaine into really? their kind of therapeutic arsenal.
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So are the Russians more open-minded about these things? or It was really
2: interesting. Just... I mean, they, they were definitely open-minded, but they wouldn't take the medicine themselves. So they would give it to patients very clinically. Right. But uh, and
1: you've used the medicine yourself.
2: Absolutely. Right. I always take everything myself before Really? Giving it to patients. Ah. And if, if you were to ask a psychiatrist, hey, have you ever taken, you know, your potent antipsychotics before recommending it to people, they would be I would never <laughs> touch it. I'm not sick. There's something yeah. wrong with me. Yeah, and because uh, they know yeah.
1: that. Psychiatrists are, are some of the most closed minded like mm-hmm. doctors are relatively close-minded uh psychiatrists are the most close-minded i find yeah. of uh not all of course not not my wife
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but uh in general and I, I think part of it is that psychiatry is just barely a science mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean honestly yeah. you know and so they're so they're very uh uh trepidatious mm-hmm. about anything that that isn't very, you know, quantifiable and right. which is a shame because when i say psychiatry is barely a science i don't mean that as an insult at all to the profession mm-hmm. i think the best psychiatrists are artists they're shamans they're they're mm-hmm. spiritual and you're talking about the healer taking the substance that's the basis of shamanism mm-hmm. you know that where the shaman generally is the one who will take the enter the altered state, whether it's through a drug or a, you enter a trance through dance or whatever it is, mm-hmm. in order to move to the other world where they can see what the problem is mm-hmm. from a, another perspective. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the healer altering consciousness is, has very deep roots. Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely. And as I'm
1: sure you know, when LSD was first marketed, was first invented, it was marketed to doctors yeah. as a way to see... Uh, get deeper insight into psychosis. Yeah, mimic psychosis. Yeah, Yeah. psychotomimetic, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a vial um, that a psychiatrist friend of mine gave me from Mm -hmm. Sandoz Mm -hmm. that he used to get boxes of
2: it. It's like historic. Mm -hmm. It is.
1: I made a little pendant of it. I was wearing it as a necklace for a while. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, you know, I traveled to the U.S., quite often Mm -hmm. I might not want to be wearing that around my neck although i mean, come on who's gonna like you know TSA agents gonna crack it and send it to the lab (laughs) I don't think so (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's probably still I'm sure it's still good right LSD doesn't degrade Mm -hmm. so if you ever see me in an airport that's (laughs) not LSD I'm wearing around my neck
3: Good
1: disclaimer. Well, I see Maria's <laughs> taking notes over there. What, what do you got on? You have something you want to talk about?
3: Oh, I was just talking about more. I wanted to talk about the veteran. Uh, oh,
1: vet good. Program. Okay. I that didn't was. know if that's what I was sort of edging toward, yeah. but I didn't know if, if that was something you're ready to talk about.
3: Well, I don't know if he's ready to talk about it, but I want to. Oh, <laughs>
1: rock and roll.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. The point is that right now we're really expanding into working with other markets and really uh-huh. helping, you know, identifying certain groups that really need our support right now. Yeah. And one of the massive ones is the veteran population in the U.S. You know, we were talking at dinner last night about that whole support our troops kind of movement that we everybody's saying let's support our troops overseas, but what about when they get back? Yeah. You know, and there's just such an it really is an epidemic right now of suicides and all kinds of people that are they are coming back and they just can't integrate back into real life. And so you now think real about it. Real life. There's yeah, a funny phrase. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 I mean, one of the problems a lot of them have is that normal life, another
3: yeah.
1: silly phrase, feels unreal after the heightened experience of mm-hmm. being in a war zone.
2: Yeah.
3: Absolutely, and
1: that
2: by itself can cause PTSD. You yeah, know? from from going to being outside with a mission, with purpose, with your buddies, to being confined in a home with your wife and your kid. I mean, that mm-hmm. itself is a stressful
1: yeah. shift. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there I, in this book. I have just am sort of wrapping up now. There's a, a section where I talk about disasters mm-hmm. because the, the the argument that I'm making is that the vision of of human nature that we're given is false. Mm-hmm. It's like a, the Neo Hobbesian view mm-hmm. that, you know, we're nasty. Before the state was there to stop us from killing each other, mm-hmm. life was solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. famous phrase. And so the, the premise is that we're these like chimps, to use our friend Nikio's <laughs> chimp consciousness. Um, but when you look at what actually happens when the state is removed, in a disaster like an earthquake or a, a war or a, you know a flood or whatever tsunamis all this stuff, what happens is people don't run around looting, raping, and pillaging. They start helping each mm-hmm. other. They help strangers. Mm-hmm. They they take children into their homes and strangers into their homes. All this beautiful stuff happens, and then people look back at those times as the best times in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so there's this. Disaster studies is actually a—you can get a degree in it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a form uh, of—it's a sub-specialty in uh, sociology. Mm -hmm. And the guy who started it at the end of his career uh, was asked what you know last words he had to impart to the field, and he said, "Well, you know, after all these studies I've done, all these people I've met, I realize now that the true disaster." Is normal life. Mm-hmm. It's not wow. the it's not the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Tragedies people die. That's true. But the people who survive, mm-hmm. they find community. Mm-hmm. It's normal life where people are isolated mm-hmm. and alone and have no one to turn to and mm-hmm. no connection. So these guys who are in a war, yeah, they're getting shot at. Mm-hmm. But they're they love their their buddies. They love the people that are protecting each other. They they you know I read this interview with. Um, uh, the guy who wrote The Perfect Storm. You know that guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. But he was embedded with troops in, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And they said, "They said, why are these guys doing this? Because they don't know what the war is about. They have the pipelines or the you know, geopolitical. He said, they do it for love. Mm-hmm. That's why they fight, mm-hmm. for love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you come home and like, well, that love, that level of love is gone. Yeah.
3: And that level of purpose. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing that I find. Like, we as human beings, we are such creative visionaries at Mm. our core. And once again, in our upbringings, we're not taught that we have that. That freedom to explore all those different ideas that we have, and to have a purpose that we've maybe never seen anybody else have. Yeah. You know, we're very much taught, like, okay, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor, something that's a very defined right. um, career, as opposed to just having this burning passion and purpose to do something that maybe seems really off the wall. And so, a lot of what I talk to our um, patients down there is about how do you create a life that's perfect for you that may not look like anything. You've how ever do
1: seen. you do that, Maria? <laughs> <laughs> really?
3: You forge the path. You, you forge really the path. You forge a path that is perfect for you. You know, that's a lot, we talk a lot about following your happiness, following your bliss. I mean, passion to me is that spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, giving you a signpost that that's something that you should be doing. It's something that you're so passionate about that, you know, you get into the flow state when you do it, that hours can go by, days can go by, and you just have this burning desire to create something or figure mm. something out or find right. a solution And that is when we're living on purpose is when we are the brightest expressions of ourselves and we can really help other people. And it's all about, to me, helping other people. You know, I take care of myself really well so that I can take care of other people really well.
0: Mm.
1: So someone comes to you, let's say, 35-year-old guy, uh, he's got addiction issues, he's married, he's got a kid, whatever, has this experience, Mm -hmm. and you're conversing with him in the after care, the support phase. And he's thinking, my life's, my life's, this is my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are, are you supportive of him leaving his wife and his child? How do you deal with that? Where, where the changes that need to be made in this individual's life could have really negative effects on other people's lives.
3: Mm. Well, I find that at the base of it, we all have to follow our truth. So to me, it's just getting down to the truth. Like, what is the truth of that person's heart? You know, if we're living in places that are not true, that's nobody's happy in that situation. Once again, we're talking about that energetic imprint. If you're in a miserable, if you're feeling miserable about your marriage and your family life, well, then you're spouse and your child are probably feeling miserable too yeah so how do we create a, a like i said i talk a lot i talked about this last night i my brain works a lot in win-win how can we create win-win situations which means that there may need to be a change but it doesn't need to be looked at as a detrimental change how can we support that what's in the highest and best for everybody so yeah I, de- I definitely you know radical changes sometimes need to be made and uh, that's not a bad thing. We oftentimes look at life as though, okay, we need to settle on one thing and that's the thing that we do for the rest of our lives, whether that be that marriage or that career or whatnot. And we just as human beings are just, we're so dynamic. And sometimes something is for just a certain window of time. Um, You know, I definitely don't willy nilly go say, yeah, go ahead and go home tomorrow and leave your wife. It's like, yeah, but let's talk about that. Like, I'm all about having those conversations. What is it that's making you unhappy in your marriage? What is it that you have a belief system that says, well, this marriage is this thing that I don't have? What is it? You know, a lot of times for men, they feel trapped. They don't feel like they can express themselves okay, is that a conversation that you could have with your wife around these are some needs of mine that aren't being met? How can we create a dynamic relationship that works really well for both of us? Does that mean, once again, going straight into, like, you know, being able to sleep with other people? Maybe not, but maybe that means we get to travel separately and we get to have our own friends and, you know, doing having more more just almost energetic freedom is what we're usually all
1: looking for. Or at least I get to watch porn. <laughs> I can't understand those marriages where it's considered cheating Mm. to watch porn. Mm. Are you kidding me? Come on. Uh. I had a long conversation with with a a famous person. I won't say his name, but I was at this party and Mm. I went to the kitchen and I, I didn't know who he was at the time. And, uh, I was getting a beer, and he's like, "Hey, you're that sex at dawn guy, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "What do you think? Is it cheating when I watch porn?" Because my wife, who's standing right there, she thinks it's cheating. I don't. I think it stops me from cheating. Mm-hmm. I, and, and we ended up like two hours talking with this couple about his porn uh, habits. And then later uh, they left and somebody's like, do you know who that was? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I know that name, yeah. Name? So it's like the only thing I know about this famous person is his <laughs> porn. Consumption.
3: Well, yeah, that goes all back to that whole topic of <laughs> us learning how to be human. Just a lot yeah. of what you discuss in your books and things is that, you know, we have this idea, we've been taught that you have one person in your life, you only yeah. have eyes for them. If you even have a thought about somebody else, that's yeah. so wrong. Yeah. And that's just not betrayal. the way we were. We were yeah. wired as human beings.
1: Definitely not, Mm -hmm. definitely not. So I'm I'm thinking about, like, situations, because I get asked advice all the time Mm -hmm. along these lines, Mm -hmm. right? Like, how can I live a meaningful life? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people who listen to this podcast are in the demographic that you guys are working with. Mm -hmm. I think primarily men, primarily Mm -hmm. 25 to Mm -hmm. 40 maybe, you know? Um, And they're interested, I think, a, a lot of, judging by the emails, I get a lot of people are looking for insights that can help them design a better life for mm-hmm. themselves, right? And they're mm-hmm. at these pivotal moments. Mm-hmm. And I I honestly, I, I have a hard time knowing what to say because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, when I was younger, I thought along the lines of like, I got to do what I got to do, mm-hmm. you know? It's like my, my self-actualization and all that. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten older, I feel, and maybe this is just because I'm, lazy or something, but I feel like I get into situations where it's like, yeah, actually the right thing to do isn't necessarily the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have an aging parent, let's Mm -hmm. say, uh, you know, who needs help. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to live here and come by every day and, you know, deal with all this stuff. But... But we can't afford to hire people, and even if we did, they're strangers. So you get into these situations as you get older where the right thing to do isn't necessarily the right thing for you. Mm. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about?
3: I hear you. I mean, I definitely, like I said, I think that's all reframes of reframes of how you look at something you Mm. know if you're looking at it as though like oh gosh this is such a burden on me then yeah that's going to feel like a really heavy negative thing that you've got to do if you reframe it to the fact that you know really getting deep and clear with yourself that these people brought you into brought you into the world that this Mm. is a finite amount of time and what a gift that you can give them to support them in Ending their lives So you're really saying I'm a selfish way. asshole. That's what you're saying.
1: That's what you're saying in yeah. this fictional scenario. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying
3: that our thoughts create our reality. And that yeah, that's true. I'm really fascinated with us reframing our thoughts so that we can look at things in a new through new lenses. You know, of course in Miracles really it talks about a miracle is just a shift in perspective. Mm. It's That's so profound when you think of it that way. That the same situation, it doesn't the situation doesn't change. Our perspective, the way we look at it, changes.
1: You're blowing my mind, Maria. Mm. Jeez, I, I haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> we got you, a pastry. <laughs> yeah, but I can't. I can't eating eat it. I've got free. a mic. on it. It's Especially gluten free. That'll definitely get picked up. By the mic. <laughs> those,
3: Chewing on that chocolate <laughs>
1: muffin. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of of eating with my mouth full, talking with my mouth full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're you're expanding this to uh, to vets. That's that's fantastic. That's mm-hmm. such an important. Yeah, as you said, I think it's like one vet an hour is mm-hmm. committing suicide mm-hmm. these days,
2: and they don't even count the overdoses. I mean, these are just uh, suicides,
1: right? These straight up, yeah, you know, guns. It's shot. very clear, you know, there's a right. letter
2: and they yeah. you know, did something, but they yeah. a bunch of overdoses as well. So yeah, we're building a hospital for treating these veterans. Oh, really? And new. We want to be able to offer all this integrative care and a holistic model of looking at the whole person. Right. And you know, doing microbiome restoration, doing flotation, right. doing
1: Oh, you're doing flotation. We want to be able to ah. offer all
2: of these different things which we know nice. that works, but are not being put under one roof. So we want to be able to have all of these services where they can get assessed, you know, from an x-ray to the labs to even dental. I mean dental is such a big one for addiction because mm. going back to the inflammation, if you have an abscess or if you have cavities, then your body's going to be inflamed and you're going to be depressed. Mm-hmm. You go to a psychiatrist. Sure. You're he's in pain. They're not going to ask you mm-hmm. if yeah. your teeth are rotten. Right. They're just going to just give you an antidepressant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not resolving your problem.
1: So you're putting together a real sort of systemic uh, approach and you're building a facility where you can... That, that's fantastic. That's right. really important.
2: Yeah. And not just the facility, but also having that continuum of care from the right. pre-care right. to the detox and then to the aftercare. And I think for aftercare, not just giving people meaning and purpose, but also teaching them skills mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. having them work the mm-hmm. land. I think one of the big um, problems with current rehab is that there there's no like physical activity where they actually work up a sweat. Mm-hmm. And especially with, with farming, it's, it's so therapeutic because mm-hmm. you're watching something grow. You prepare food with people. You, you have that sense of community, which mm-hmm. is lacking in the modern world. And that by itself can heal PTSD, having... Somebody working on a farm, Mm -hmm. yeah. And we want to be able to offer that to vendors, where they come in and then they can stay with us for three months, just learning
1: permaculture. do, Do you do like any sort of work study thing, where, like, let's say somebody's a carpenter, that they can come and, you know. Get a discount on the on the price by building something, and do you do that sort of thing yet? We want to
2: be able to offer that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But mainly giving them a a place where they can study permaculture, Mm. and permaculture you know means a lot of things to different people, but just having that skill set that they can then take home and apply in their communities. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and reconnecting to the land. Like I said, I feel like a lot of this is is disconnection. All these issues, quote-unquote, all of us have such a disconnection from where we came from and connecting with nature. I mean, that... You know, for myself, I actually suffered from very, very severe depression when I was younger. I was about 16, 17 years old, Mm. and I was suicidally depressed. And I just did not believe in taking medicines or going to see, you know, the psychiatrist that they tried to take me to was some 60 year old overweight white guy who didn't even look me in the eye. He talked to my parents as though I wasn't even in the room. Really. So that to me was like, okay, obviously this isn't the answer, but what is the answer? So I just intuitively started spending time in nature. I mean, days on end, I would just sit at the bottom of a tree and just connect, not even knowing what I was doing, not knowing about mindfulness or meditation, just reconnecting to the electromagnetic grid of the earth calmed my nervous system, got me really still and really present and able to receive these kind of downloads that I realized... You know, like I said about food, I had a very severe eating disorder. And one of the biggest downloads I got from spending time in nature was how healing nature is and how I could use plants. I could, If I could reframe my relationship around food from being my enemy to being my medicine, that mm. I would heal my entire being. So I just became obsessed with nutrition in that way, but really about the plant, like how powerful plants and herbs are. And part of that is also the growing and the cultivation the understanding yeah. of life cycle and understanding how abundant we are. You can walk outside, you know, if you take a wild foraging class, you can eat forever for free if you know how much food is just available right outside our front door. And it's
1: so much more nutritious mm-hmm. than the stuff that's commercially grown. Absolutely. Yeah, so you can eat much less and, and actually be far better... Uh, better off,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Do people,
1: you know, I'm thinking about this experience. I'm imagining going through this experience mm-hmm. and the cleansing and the mm-hmm. the rebirth and the, the sense of hope and all these wonderful feelings that uh, are being generated. Do you get people falling in love with each other down there? I mean, you mm-hmm. must get a lot of transference, I imagine, you know, people falling in love with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but are people, do you know, are couples forming You're not getting many women, I guess, so probably not a lot of that.
3: Yeah, I mean, we set a really strong container down there. Uh, So it really is, it's so much about the intra, like the introspection time, you know, this whole week for them essentially, especially during the detox, once again, they have no phones, no access to email. It's really such a time for them to go deep within. Right. And so we do do group activities, but, you know, the ibogaine, also, it's a difficult experience for them. They don't feel good. They're nauseous. You mm. know, they're definitely coming out on the Saturday after the 5MU feeling super bright and shiny. But, um, yeah, we all work so much with... Their life experiences that uh, yeah I haven't had that yet that there are people are kind of bonding that way definitely a lot of the guys form friendships and mm. things like that which is awesome yeah but I haven't had any
1: and very therapeutic um, to be able to take that friendship back absolutely
3: know, absolutely I mean we're we really run a beautiful I mean the, down there we're watching all kinds of documentaries on like neurons to nirvana all talking about psychedelics and consciousness and how you like i said how your thoughts create your reality this is some new information to these folks this isn't you know people mm. like us who are psychonauts who've been in this forever right, right. this is their Good first point. taste at seeing something so much more that there's so much more out there and so for them to have an ally and a you know some buddies that they um that believe in what they you know that they have been through what they're they've just been through is is pretty invaluable, which is another reason why the aftercare is so great, because then we're compounding all these folks that are going through similar uh, experiences, and they can support each other moving forward.
2: And we want to do brain scans on veterans before and after Ibogaine, Mm. because we we have done one scan so far, and the changes were profound. Really? And by having these scans, which are uh, spec scans, they show... um, Market changes in the areas that are involved with anxiety and that light up with PTSD. So we can demonstrate from a scientific perspective with a with a map, basically. Yeah. What are the changes? And it's very hard for Western science to argue against that because they can they can tell us all sorts of things that these medicines don't work. But once we have that data, it's very uh, very clear.
1: And these are these are permanent structural changes? No, or? they're functional they're changes. They're functional. So it's mm. what parts of the brain is activated. Correct. So do you have them thinking about the same thing before and after? Mm-hmm. Or how and do just you, also you
2: baseline. And, and it's actually three scans. Uh, so one is going to be afterwards, and then another one, one is going to be several months. And right. then that's going to be the proof uh, that these changes are long-lasting. Right.
1: That, you mentioned the the long-lasting. Evogain has an amazing... What is it, six months? They look to see how many people have relapsed? Yeah, so... Is that the standard measure? Of well,
2: the- that, is, that is one standard measure. The other one is looking at a year. Mm-hmm. Um, ibogaine uh, is metabolized into noribogaine by the liver, and that stays in the system for about 90 days. So oh, a lot oh, of the yeah. positive effects that we're seeing, the antidepressant effects of the uh, treatment of the cravings, are occasioned by the Norton Ibogaine is it Better fat soluble it. it is fat soluble correct
1: interesting so I wonder you know they say that fat soluble like uh, THC if you're gaining weight when you're using a lot of weed and then later you lose weight you get high from it you get it.
2: high <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's a good reason to lose weight <laughs> yeah. you, you gotta, your stash is like in your ass right yeah. <laughs> desert island and you still like exactly. It, you know? exactly why is that starving guy so happy <laughs> So you're doing a crowdfunding thing. Is it a Kickstarter thing? or where? It's on
2: Indiegogo. Well, it's on a platform yeah. called Wallacea, which uh-huh. is a crowdfunding platform specifically for science projects. Mm. We're going to have another one on Indiegogo, but that's unrelated to this particular one. That's more for okay. permaculture.
1: And this, So the, the funds you're raising are to finance the The, the scans. brain scans, mainly.
2: Mm-hmm. Right,
1: okay. Mm-hmm. For vets who are coming? For
2: vets who have post-traumatic stress disorder with co-occurring opiate addiction. Right, okay,
1: cool. And there are links to, to this at your site, I'm sure.
2: Correct, and we'll yeah. include some links. We'll send you some links so you can put them on. Okay, the they'll be on
1: my site at chrisryanphd.com. And your program is what? Crossroads Treatment or, Center. Tra- Crossroads Center.com.
2: Uh, well, the website is crossroadsibogaine.com.
1: Crossroadsibogaine.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's Crossroads Treatment Center. So if you know someone who would benefit from this, uh, get in touch with Martin and Maria and the other people down at Crossroads. And uh, yeah, I actually, again, I don't want to name names, but the first time I heard of you guys was a good friend of mine whose brother was addicted to heroin. And he told me about this place in Mexico where he sent his brother and it was amazing. And Mm -hmm. they hung out on the beach and his brother came back and his life was completely different. And uh, that was probably four years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And and he's great. Mm-hmm. Everything's changed. That's beautiful. So I'm sure you have a lot of stories like that. But it's it's uh, interesting. I heard one of those stories before I knew who you guys were. So congratulations. Thank, thank you. You're thank saving you so lives. Thank it's wonderful. You. Thanks for doing this. Mm,
2: thank, thank you. you. This is-
4: Wash my soul, I will come to your river Wash my soul, I will come to your river Wash my soul again
1: you enjoyed that conversation and appreciate your support for the podcast especially those of you who do it through fundwhatyoulove.com where you can set it up to take a buck five bucks ten bucks whatever you can afford whatever you feel motivated to throw at the podcast every month uh, you don't have to think about it it's an ongoing thing you can cancel at any time of course that's fundwhatyoulove.com. That's run by Danny Osman, who also does the sound engineering for the show. You can find him at emeraldcitypro.com if you have any engineering, sound engineering needs. He's great. I vouch for him, of course. He's been doing the sound engineering for this podcast for over a year now, completely voluntarily. Uh, He's a cool guy. So if you have any business you want to throw his way, please do. Thanks to Basin and Range for the opening music. You can find them at basinandrangeband.com. There's a Reddit Tangentially Speaking discussion group. If you want to talk about episodes, throw a question at me, get a conversation started at Reddit, just do a search for Tangentially Speaking, all one word. And of course, thanks to Bennett at Shore Design T-Shirts, another guy who's been supporting this podcast from the very beginning when I had about 15 listeners. He was there. He's still there. And uh, I love him. Never met the guy, but I love him. And I sure as hell love his shirts. So you can get his shirts at ShoreDesignT-Shirts.com. And of course, all the shirts that are at ChrisRyanPhD.com are made by Shore Design T-Shirts in Thailand and packaged and shipped to you by my mom, Julie. Uh, Say hi to Julie if you order anything. She loves it when that happens. And of course, last but not least, thanks to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear, Smoke Alarm, which reminds you to carpe fucking diem because you're going to die one day.
0: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. Chest, you wanna shut it up, but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? Running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say.